welcome to another College Football Live Show with Gary Seegers, Kyle Hunter and Parker Fleming, which by the way, I'd like to congratulate for having another successful week in picks last week. There were major upsets in week four, including Texas A&M falling to Arkansas. The Razorbacks come out their big win and head to Georgia, looking to beat another top-ranked team. Our college football crew will be looking at the big SEC clash and what else is going on in the chaotic and exciting college football world. Welcome in to the BetUS College Football Show, and it is week five. That's right, the Wednesday show is the early slate show. Uh, go ahead and remind everybody, we do this two times a week, Wednesdays at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and Thursdays, 12 p.m. Eastern Time. Make sure that you jump in for both of them. Gentlemen, we have got a fantastic slate. Let me go ahead and introduce the experts that are with us today and every day that we do the show. On the left, we have got Parker Fleming, our numerical guru, as I like to call him. You can find him on Twitter, at Stats of War. Parker, a uh, pretty good week last week. It was a fun, uh, maniacal, chaotic week. I think we're going to get a lot more of these. How do, how do you feel about it? Absolutely. Last week was so fun, Gary. I think that I had uh, four games where a team lost and had a positive post-game win expectancy. Uh, so just absolute chaos and special teams and turnovers, a, a really fun week of football. And then we've got some some really heavy hitter matchups this weekend. I'm excited for it, man. Same, same here. On the right, Kyle Hunter, our award-winning professional handicapper, who, by the way, Kyle won a massive award last week after we went off the air. Uh, I'll let him tell us about it. But yeah, massive, massive stuff. For Kyle, you can find him on Twitter at Kyle Hunter Picks. Kyle, tell us about the award and uh, and pretty good week last week, uh, for sure. It came out on the winning side. Tell me, tell me what went on last week. Yeah, I was I was named handicapper of the decade by Capper Reviews. But um, look, I'm not good at bragging about myself, and I, I I'm just a <laughs> humble guy who happens to like sports betting, and my record's been pretty good. So um, yeah, it's it's pretty awesome. I've had a good, really good season so far, and guys, I got to tell you. I'm pumped about this slate. I think this is just a fascinating slate of games this week. Uh, just big game after big game. You have got that right. I will brag on you all day. I did it on Twitter. Again, you guys can follow us. You can find me on Twitter as well, at GaryWCE. But yes, I will brag about you all the time because that is a massive award. It's not Handicapper of the Week. It's not Handicapper of the Year. It is Handicapper of the Decade. That means you've been doing this a long time and you've been pretty good at it for a while. So let's go ahead and give you all the information that you need to know. First off, make sure you are subscribed to the channel. Hit that notification bell. It's going to let you know when we go live every single week. Again, Wednesday is 5 p.m. Eastern time. Thursday is 12 p.m. Eastern time. We're going to do the early slate on Wednesday. We'll do this late slate on Thursday. So again, notification bell. It's going to let you know when we are going live. And make sure that you jump into the comments. Let us know what you think about these games. We are just as interested in your opinions as you are in ours. Hopefully, you're interested. You wouldn't be watching if you weren't, I would assume. But either way, jump into the comments and jump into the live chat, which there are people jumping in right now. Big Trouble Jack, uh, Trey Parlay, all kind of guys. So jump into the chat. We do have a Q&A at the end of the show, and we are going to go through some of the games that are not on our list Today, we'll just give you some opinions, let you know what we think about it, why we decided not to go a certain way, but we will certainly do that towards the end of the show. Next up, sign up at BetUS, where the game begins 
you can use the promo code NCAAF2021. It's going to give you a 125% sign-up bonus up to $2,500. And guys, it is sportsbook exclusive. I cannot stress how great of a deal this is. You need to sign up today. There is a link in the description. You can go click that, type in that promo code, and it will get you hooked up. Go ahead and do it. You can you can press pause, even though the show's live. Press pause and go and get signed up. I'm telling you, it's that big of a deal. So knock it out. Promo code again, NCAAF2021. Guys, let's go to a recap from last week and basically what we have done for the entire season. We'll give you our records overall. Out of 30 picks, I am sitting at 17 wins, 11 losses, and two pushes. I had a pretty good week last week. Went 5-2. and two. Felt good about it. Uh, feel good about this slate as well. Kyle... 14 and 8 overall, 22 picks. And Parker is 17, 21 and 2. And I feel like he's going to get right this week. I feel like he's going to get right this week. Overall, 48, 40 and 4. We have been profitable. If you took every single pick that we have given on the show over the season, you have made money, my friends. Absolutely. So, gentlemen, let's go ahead and dive into the first game on the board. And the first game here is a Friday night tilt. 8 p.m. Eastern time, Iowa at Maryland. The line sits with the Terps as a three-and-a-half-point dog at home. The total is 48, and I feel fantastic about this matchup. Go ahead and give you some some betting trends here. Iowa 1-2 and two against the spread all-time against Maryland. They don't play that often, even though they are in the same conference. Iowa 3-0 and oh against the spread as road favorites to close out the 2020 season. They have not been in that spot this year. Maryland has won and covered two straight as a home dog. Guys, this is a fun, fun matchup, and it is a philosophical matchup for me. I So first off, the Thursday and Friday night home dogs this year, 5-0-1 against the spread. That, and, and four of them are straight-up wins. So I do feel good about that for sure. But philosophically, this is big for me. Before I give my spiel on who I like in this game, Kyle, let me go ahead and get you in here. Give me your thoughts on this. Uh, what what do you see from such a short line? All right, guys. So I'm looking forward to this one because Gary and Parker and I usually don't disagree very often, but we do disagree on this game. So this will be a little bit fun. We'll see who has bragging rights, I guess, next week, right? So um, I'm waiting on this line, hoping I get an Iowa minus three. I think it could probably happen. I'm looking for a flat three. Iowa's 19-5-1 against the spread in their last 25 games as a road favorite. So they've been great in this role. And I'm taking Ference every day of the week over Loxley, every single time. Um, you know, Iowa has a top 10 or 15 secondary every single year. This year, no different. Uh, they rank fourth in PFF's coverage grade so far this year. The toughest pass defense Maryland has faced up to this point, according to PFF, number 68, Illinois. So a big step up in class for Talia and the passing attack there for Maryland, uh, you know, do I think that Maryland can run the ball against Iowa? I, would, I don't think so. Iowa's giving up 2.31 yards per carry. So the question is, what do we think Maryland's going to do through the air? I do think they can have some success. Obviously, they have a very good passing attack. And I will be fair here and say I've been wrong about Maryland so far. So, you know, some of my worst picks so far this year have been when I go against Maryland. I'm going to do it here again as far as a strong lean toward Iowa. I think I'll be able to get this minus three. But to me, uh, laying points on the road, uh, the negative to my bet here, that laying points on the road with Spencer Petras does uh, make me a little bit nervous. You know, just saying that uh, makes me a bit scared. That's why I haven't pulled the trigger, and it's why I don't want to lay more than three points here. 
Having said that, you know, Iowa's defense is just light years better than anybody Maryland's played so far, especially in the past defense. I think Maryland is overvalued in the betting markets at this point. My line here was minus five and a half on Iowa. So a strong lean here to Iowa for me. And again, like I said, this is two main things. I think Maryland hasn't faced a good pass defense yet, and I have to take Ference against Loxley. I can see where you're coming from with that. Uh, I will say that Iowa has been the beneficiary of a lot of turnovers this year, and it is from teams that have continued to turn the football over. Maryland has not shown to be a team that does that. Uh, Where you say that Maryland has not faced anybody like Iowa, I don't know that Iowa has faced anybody quite like Maryland either. Parker, let me get you in here with some numbers. Help back me up because you know I'm siding with the Terrapins here. Uh, give, Give me your thoughts. I have said uh, all kind of offseason and, and leading up to the season, Maryland is going to get somebody this uh, this year. I don't know that they are going to be good on the aggregate, but they have offensive explosive potential to really kind of get out in front of an, an Iowa team that hasn't really been challenged this year. If you look at Maryland's schedule, I'm actually a little bit higher on West Virginia than I think Kyle is. Look at how they've played against um, Oklahoma, for instance, and they got right against Virginia Tech. I think that they've got a, a, a very annoying pass defense. And so um, I, I think Maryland has been tested. Obviously, I was better than that. But I really do think that this comes down to um, almost the inverse argument of what Kyle's making. Uh, look at the quarterbacks that Iowa has played. Uh, they've played Michael Penix Jr. for Indiana. They've played Brock Purdy at Iowa State. They've played Dustin Crum. Those are three household names, right, this year in college football. All three have been supremely underwhelming. So I really like uh, Maryland's explosive potential here. I have them at 19th in EPA per play or EPA margin, 37th on offense, and actually 24th on defense. Uh, granted, opponent adjustments matter, but they they have been surprisingly competent on defense. And, and Kyle, I agree that the coaching advantage obviously goes towards Iowa. But one thing that I think is really interesting, Iowa um, – d- Iowa doesn't have an offense. Iowa doesn't have an offense at all. They're 113th in EPA per play. Spencer Petrus is abysmal. Iowa is one of the shortest yards per touchdown drive teams in the nation. Uh, average, Average drive length of 61 on touchdown drives, meaning they're only capitalizing on short fields. I think that they have not been able to put bad teams away the couple times that they have played them. Look at that Colorado State game. Um, fun fact, Colorado State turned 63 yards into 14 points against Iowa last week with a couple of special teams uh, kind of mess ups. Iowa's defense is, is, is really good, but I do think Talia is the best quarterback that they have seen this year. And I do think that Maryland has been tested a little bit. So I like this kind of fit um, between uh, Maryland being able, being able to to break off a couple of big plays to get a couple points and make Iowa score. I think absolutely if you're Mike Loxley, you're going to say Spencer Petrus is going to beat me through the air and we are going to let it fly on defense. Uh, I, I like Maryland here, and I lean towards Maryland money line. I am going to side with you, Parker. I feel fantastic about this, and this is the philosophical discussion for me, right? Over the past handful of seasons, we have seen that a great offense, an explosive offense, can negate a great defense. It is the way that the game has shifted, whether it's by rules or the way that it is played in space. Maryland takes advantage of all of the space on the field. What all of you guys have said is 100% true. Coaching matchup, yes, Kirk Ferentz over Mike Loxley all day and then twice on Sundays. I- I'm with you. But this is a Friday night home home game, and the team with the better offense, the more explosive offense that is less uh, less apt to turn the football over, I feel like, is Maryland. I think that they are going to win this ball game just outright. 
So you're giving me three and a half. Give me three. Give me four. Give me one. I don't care. I think Maryland wins the game because they can take advantage of certain spots in the field that Iowa will not be able to cover. Bottom line, simple. So let's go to the official plays. Very easy to do. We've got two of them, and I am going to ride with Maryland plus three and a half. Parker is riding Maryland plus three and a half. And Kyle leans with Iowa, but he's he's not going to make an official play on it until he gets to three. And I can understand that. That's smart button. Smart button. Boy, this chat is rolling right now. Absolutely rolling. You guys keep asking <laughs> questions. We've got guys that are going to uh, let us know at the end of the show the games that are asked about the most. So go ahead and dive in there. Oh, and by the way, in the comments, make sure and let us know who you like in this game, especially the Friday night game. We want to know your opinion. Tell us what's up. Heading over to the next game. Arkansas heads to Athens, Georgia to face off against the Bulldogs. Currently, the line is 18 and a half in favor of Kirby Smart and the Dogs. The total sits at 48 and a half. When you first saw this line, it's a battle of top 10 teams, but you see that line come out and you're thinking, man, nearly three touchdowns? Like, what are we talking about? Last year, Georgia won this game in Fayetteville, 37 to 10. Fascinating matchup here between offensive coordinator Todd Munkin for Georgia and defensive coordinator Barry Odom for Arkansas. Arkansas, five and one against the spread their last six as a road dog. Georgia, only two and five against the number, their last seven at home against the SEC and they are one and four against the number. Their last five as a 17-point home dog or home favorite. Excuse me. There's a lot of questions with both of these teams leading into this game as to who is going to play, who will be at 100 percent, etc. Parker, let me start off with you since we started with Kyle on the last one. I I don't know which way. I, I feel like Georgia is going to win the game. I could see reasons why Arkansas could hang in this. How do you feel about it? I, Gary, am going to, uh, I, I'm, I'm okay saying this out loud. I'm a coward. I changed my pick this morning. We talked about it and my numbers, and I moved from an outright Arkansas um, uh, pick to a leaning towards Arkansas, just because that is a lot of points, but you can start to look at some circumstances around Arkansas's portfolio this year that are more than dubious. Um, Arkansas got an AM team that was really banked up last week. Texas clearly was not playing their best quarterback when they played Arkansas. And so, you know, there's some issues there with, with both of Arkansas's big wins. I think this will be a defensive uh, struggle and, and really, really interesting. Uh, I have Arkansas's defense at fourth in the nation. I have Georgia's defense at first in the nation. And I have Arkansas's offense at 57th. Georgia's at 40 seconds. So some nice mirror images, even though competition uh, is is subject to debate there and 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 uh, kind of waiting those for opponents. What I think is really interesting is just the sheer hilarity of Arkansas's offense and how there's no way it's sustainable. Against Texas A&M last week, KJ Jefferson completed seven passes, 85 yards, 48 yards, 23 yards, 27 yards, 21 yards, 21 yards, and four yards. That is insane. That is just an absolutely <laughs> absurd offense. Um, and and they're going to have to get some more. Um, maybe they're not. I don't know. I was going to say they're going to have to get some more consistency out of the offense. But if you can just rip off big plays with Traylon Burks, which they totally can, uh, maybe maybe they'll be able to stick and, and, and keep this close. But I like the complementarity here. Uh, again, I said it last week. If there's anyone in the world that could get Arkansas up to win this game, it's it's Sam Pittman, uh, the head coach. Traylon Burks is uh, averaging 20.5 yards per reception. They're just finding him downfield. And, uh, you know, Arkansas's run game leaves a little bit to be desired. 
Um, overall, I have them at uh, 46th in rushing success rate and 50th in rushing EPA. And so we'll have to see some development there. It's going to be a slow game. It's going to be a slog. I would, I, I, I'm really excited to see what Arkansas can do. On the other hand, Georgia is a absolute uh, machine right now. Just have it rolling. Just, just, just absolutely steamrolling people. One thing to look out for: Georgia has the shortest yards per touchdown drive of anyone in the nation, meaning that most of their offensive drives are starting in really plus position, and they're only scoring when they're in their really plus, plus position. Now you could say. Are they playing bad competition? Is that inflating it? But it's just something to keep an eye on. If they can't, if they can't keep up that sustainable um, field position, it, it it might change the calculus of this game. Um, and they've been able, uh, they, they've had some moments on 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 rushing as well. I have them at 99th in EPA per rush. Granted, inferior competition and then playing backups and everything. But I really think that this game is not 17 points apart, but I do think this strongly favors Georgia just because Arkansas basically has consistency on defense. And then can I get that big play to Traylon Burks? Um, and if Georgia lines up and says, KJ Jefferson's going to have to make multiple reads to beat us, the wheels could come off for Arkansas pretty, pretty easily. So I think it'll be close. I think that Georgia wins. I'm leaning towards Arkansas to cover. Um, but uh, again, that, that big play potential, it just, I, I'm staying away from it. I think. Initially this week when we were making out our plans for the game, I so my line on this was Georgia minus 20. And I looked at it and I said, that seems insane. But but all things considered, maybe it's not so crazy. KJ Jefferson at bang knee last week didn't get to play the entire game against Texas A&M. And the offense just completely shut down against A&M when he went out. If he does not have that running ability, if he can't get out of the pocket, if he can't scare Georgia then, yeah, they're going to have a major, major problem on their hands with being able to move the ball at all because if Georgia can key in on on the running game, Arkansas will not be able to move the football. Hey, Kyle, let me get you in here. Give me your thoughts on the Razorbacks and the Dogs here. Yeah, I mean, how can you not love Sam Pittman? What a job he's doing here at Arkansas. Uh, it's really fun watching them be so good. Arkansas running the ball on 69.1% of their plays so far this year, and their offensive line has been amazing. You know, I knew they'd be better, didn't know they'd be like this. Uh, the question is, can they run on Georgia? You know, Georgia really has not been good to run on, has not been easy to run on for anybody the last couple of years. Uh, if they get behind big early, Arkansas, I don't like their ability to catch up in a game like this. So while I lean Arkansas here, I'm a bit worried about how the game state could play out. And certainly Jefferson uh, has been practicing with a brace on this week, reportedly. So I assume he plays not 100%. Burks has been injured as well. So, you know, that concerns me. We get more unknowns. The more unknowns you get, the less I want to bet that game. 84% um, of the bets are on Arkansas in this game. Everybody saw Arkansas look really good at against Texas A&M and against Texas. So that doesn't really surprise me. I will say... Georgia is first in the nation in yards per play allowed, and they're uh, first in PFF's overall defense grade. Arkansas is ninth in yards per play allowed, somehow 76th in PFF overall defense grade. I had to, while, while we were talking here, I was double checking that, like just because I didn't think that made too much sense, but I, I made the notes here today, and that was correct. Seems like that's too low on Arkansas's defense. I think they're secondary, uh, very good. You know, this is a secondary that is really bothered a lot of people. Jalen Catalan, a great player there. Um, the question is whether Arkansas can stop the run of Georgia. So I think the question is, which team can run the ball here? I'm not convinced that Arkansas can run the ball consistently enough that I want to 
take the points here in this game. So big talent disparity too. Uh, Gary, you talked about this uh, times in the past. With you look at the the scouting and what kind of uh, talent these guys have. Arkansas is up against it here against Georgia. We know Georgia is just stacked with great talent. So I lean Arkansas in this one, but I can't pull the trigger. I, I will tell you this. The difference between the teams that Arkansas has played thus far and Georgia, surprisingly, Georgia has a better quarterback than pretty much everybody that Arkansas has played so far based solely on experience. JT Daniels at least has seen a lot of this stuff before. I don't know that Barry Odom will be able to confuse him the same way that he has some of these other quarterbacks. So uh, with that said, let's go ahead and move to the official plays here. And we don't have any. None of us feel strongly enough about this, although my lean would be Georgia currently, and the other two would lean Arkansas. Uh, We are not going to roll with an official play on it. So we'll move on to the next game, and we got another massive matchup in the 12 p.m. Eastern time slot, and that would be Michigan at Wisconsin. Of course, the Badgers coming off a thrashing from Notre Dame, which the the final score was not indicative of how that game went, but you, you get it. We'll talk about it. Michigan is a two-point underdog on the road. The total sits at 43-and-a-half. Over the last five seasons, Michigan is 1-4 and four straight up and against the spread against Wisconsin. They are 3-6 and six against the spread in their last nine on the road in Wisconsin. Only 2-4 and four against the spread. Their last six at home, they are on a 1-6 and six against the spread uh, run in their last seven overall. They have not played well. Uh, Wisconsin absolutely beat uh, beat the brakes off of them last year 49 to 11 it was not even remotely close but these two teams have gone in completely different directions since that game happened i i don't know how i really feel about this because michigan i thought would be a little more dominant against rutgers last week and they came out they won by a touchdown didn't get close to covering the three touchdown spread but it did make me question okay michigan has not gone on the road yet what are they going to look like? And if you look at Wisconsin's just overall numbers, it, it can scare you. Uh, Kyle, let's start off with you. Give me your thoughts on the Wolverines and the Badgers here. Yeah, I think this is a fascinating game because uh, we kind of don't know what Michigan is yet either. Uh, you know, Michigan has beaten the brakes off bad teams in past years and then not been very good in Big Ten play. It worries you a little bit that they played that way against Rutgers, certainly. Having said that, you know, who's anxious to bet on Wisconsin at this point? You know, this Wisconsin offense has just been terrible. They're 103rd in yards per play allowed or, or yards per play on offense, despite Eastern Michigan being one of the three teams they played against. So, you know, you should be able to roll up some big numbers in a game like that. Paul Chris used to be thought of as a pretty good offensive mind. You know, I, you know, I had pretty high hopes for Graham Mertz. It's getting hard here to, you know, keep saying Graham Mertz might be good because we've seen so many times that he's making really poor decisions. Um, 122nd out of 130 at PFF, the Wisconsin passing attack. And I know people will say, well, Wisconsin doesn't have great wide receivers. Um, Yeah, they don't have great wide receivers, but you can't be 122nd out of 130 in the passing attack. And Graham Graham Mertz has a turnover-worthy play on 8.7% of plays so far this year. I knew it would be bad, but... I mean, you're almost 10%. That's just terrible. Wisconsin's defense is still very good, guys. You know, this is a defense that uh, I do want to say Notre Dame scored 41 points last week on 3.5 yards per play. Um, Just a massive anomaly. Uh, Wisconsin's defense, 
uh, was very good. So thanks a lot, Graham Mertz and the special teams. Um, I don't think Michigan's going to move the ball very much here. Uh, can they throw on Wisconsin? Uh, Wisconsin's only allowing 1.01 yards per carry. I cannot bet an over in a game like this, but also you're not going to get rich betting college football games under 43 and a half. So I'm going to sit out this one, but if I had to bet something here, I think I would lean the under. I can understand that. Uh, Michigan averages 6.3 yards per carry. That's number three in the country. Uh, like you said, Wisconsin only giving up one yard per rush. That's pretty insane. Michigan only throws the ball like 16 times a game. Parker, is there any kind of a game plan that Michigan can change around, or or do they just have to man up and whip Wisconsin at the line of scrimmage? I think Wisconsin would love for Michigan to to alter their game plan to say, hey, we're going to have to um, line up and play, you know, 12 personnel and and really just out Wisconsin, Wisconsin. Um, Michigan's problem against Rutgers, Rutgers has a surprisingly good rushing defense. I have them at eighth in success rate. And so they couldn't really get an explosive play through the ground uh, consistently. I think that uh, it'll be a little more interesting to see what they can do against Wisconsin, who is really good in the um, – explosiveness numbers 19th against the pass first against the rush in defense but in those success rate numbers uh it's is a little bit worse than that 24th through passing success rate so when you see kind of a disparity there between hey you're uh you know top 10 in the metric in the in the epa and, and kind of a, a top 30 in success rate that means hey you're, you're just not letting the explosive play happen but people are still moving the ball so if michigan can get some kind of explosive rush here i think that'll be um able to score against Wisconsin. Wisconsin last week looked terrible. They were leading with 46 minutes left just because Notre Dame uh, gave them the ball and and, and uh, they had a short field and kicked a field goal. Uh, in those last um, 14 minutes, they absolutely just fell apart and, and looked bad. I think there's something to be said about a letdown effect here for Wisconsin. Um, Graham Mertz it, it's hard to come back from from three interceptions and in and, and about six passes. You know, they're close the game and just completely eviscerate any hope of winning. So it'll be interesting to see. I have uh, Wisconsin's offense at 118th, Michigan's defense at 30th. And I do expect this to be very slow. Like Kyle pointed out, Michigan is rushing the ball on early downs 73.7% of the time, which is 120th slowest in the nation. So I think that what they'll hope to do is, is kind of continue their game to take some pressure off Cade McNamara and look to get some explosive runs to kind of free up their passing offense and, and take advantage of Wisconsin here. Two points, um, you know, give me a field. I, 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 I get a field goal there. And, and so I kind of like, I like Michigan here just because Wisconsin is trending down. They um, haven't looked good even in their game against Penn State, it looks like Penn State might not be that great or at least hasn't been playing that great early on too. So uh, I lean Michigan here knowing uh, fully well that Michigan has burned me in the past um, and not leaning. I'm going to I'm going to pick Michigan. I'm going to take Michigan and the points. Hey, that is you talked about being a coward earlier. Uh, that is a brave pick, my friend. Brave. <laughs> pick. So let's move to the official plays. And Parker is going to side with the Michigan Wolverines plus two. Uh, thinks they got a shot to win the game. I I agree with them 100% because who on earth would want to back Wisconsin right now? Uh, not not with that passing game. No, sir. No, sir. That will move us on to our next matchup. We're going to stay in the Big Ten. Minnesota heads to Purdue, and the line sits currently Purdue minus 2.5 at home. The total of 47.5. Seems like a low number, but let's talk about uh, let's talk about a few things. Parker, I'm going to leave you out of this one. 
Kyle and I are going to have a conversation about about low totals. Uh, Minnesota <laughs> won and <laughs> Minnesota won and covered three straight against Purdue. The overs are eight and one in the last nine in this matchup. However, if you just look overall at how they have played, Minnesota lost to Bowling Green at home 14 to 10 last week. Just absolutely abysmal. Uh, Minnesota is 4-0 against the spread their last four on the road. They seem to play better on the road. The under is 4-0 in those spots. Purdue 2-7 against the spread their last nine. They are 2-2 in 2021. And the unders are 6-2-1. These are supposed to be offensive coaches, and they are routinely playing slower and slower. Kyle, tell me what you like about this game uh, between Minnesota and the Boilermakers. Yeah, first of all, um, Bowling Green in Minnesota, what a shocking game. I mean, um, I say, uh, you know, in the afternoon, I wasn't able to watch too many games last week, and I had a friend text me, Bowling Green just beat Minnesota. I'm like, yeah, that's a good one, you know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he's like, no, I'm being serious. I'm like, wow. You know, and Gary said last week, this is going to be a weird weekend. And, man, was it a weird weekend. He nailed it on that one. Um, you know, I, I think for me, Tanner Morgan looks really lost at quarterback. And I don't think P.J. Fleck trusts him at all. If you look at the numbers, um, he's a, he has a turnover-worthy play on 6% of plays so far this year. Not as bad as Graham Mertz, but definitely bad. In Minnesota's last three games, Morgan has 17, 17, and 13 passes attempted. So they want nothing to do with throwing the football at this point. No Bateman out there to bail him out. Minnesota's run the ball on 73% of plays for the course of the season overall, and it's north of 77% in the last three games. Uh Minnesota ranks 129th in the nation in tempo, only Army slower than them. And we know how slow Army moves up and down the field. Uh, they're very efficient, but they go very slowly. Minnesota, not efficient either. So uh, running the ball, taking all kinds of time can lead to really uh, low scoring games. You know, you get this moving clock, very slow tempo. I've taken uh, Minnesota under the last two weeks and have cashed here. I have to take it again, you know, just on principle alone. Minnesota's offense, 87th, or I'm sorry, Purdue's offense, 87th in yards per play on offense this year. David Bell, a superstar at wide receiver. We don't know if he's going to play in this game. He's missed our last couple games. If he doesn't play, if there's confirmation, I'll probably bet this one even bigger because I think he's really important to their, to their offense. And really, Purdue, 2.91 yards per carry on offense so far this year. They have virtually no running game. Um, their leading running back missed last week's game as well. You know, I've really been impressed by Purdue's defense, but their offense has been weak. Uh, you know, like you said, I thought Braum was going to be a really good offensive mind, and in general, I still think he is. Fleck, the same. Um, Purdue has different defensive coordinators, and they've done a good job. 30th in yards per play allowed so far this year, fifth in success rate allowed. So very good defensively, which surprises me quite a bit. And look, the last two games for each of these teams, Minnesota with 30 points total and 24 points total, Purdue with 40 points total and 22 points total. Now, I don't like to place bets solely on that type of thing because that, that can pretty uh, be a pretty weak way to, to place bets. But, you know, you see games running extremely low scoring that have a very slow tempo, a lot of runs. Uh, you have to look toward the under, and this is not an extremely low under, you know, like the 43, 43 and a half. So long range forecasts also 50% chance of rain, winds of 12 to 15 miles per hour. That's something to pay attention to as well. Uh, this is something I've done really well with in the long term is uh, windy games with some, some type of precipitation. 
Uh, you know, I think that, you know, this could be a big boost for the under in this one. I like it without that. It could really help quite a bit if that's there as well. I like it. Basically, you're saying go ahead and grab it now before uh, everybody realizes that it's going to be windy and it's going to rain and they're going to continue running. So let's go ahead and dive into the official plays on this. And Kyle, with the only one with an official play uh, between Minnesota and Purdue, he's going under 47 and a half. And it makes total sense. Absolute total sense. Uh, Gentlemen, let me go ahead and remind everybody, like the video. Hit that like button. There's a lot of people in the chat. I see a lot of people watching the show right now, and there's not as many likes as there are people watching. So do us that favor. Hit that like button. Make sure you are subscribed and that you hit that notification bell for sure, and it'll let you know when we're going live on Wednesdays and Thursdays every week. Uh, And, of course, everybody that's jumping into the chat, we appreciate you guys for sure. Keep asking those questions. We, uh, We are aggregating all of the different games that are getting the most requests and we'll hit those at the end of the show in our Q&A. Uh, again, tomorrow's show, 12 p.m. Eastern time, we will hit the late slate tomorrow, the late afternoon and evening slate. That'll be tomorrow. So any games that you're asking about today, make sure that they are from a weeknight game or the early afternoon or morning slate. So next game on the board, we're going to move to the SEC. Tennessee heads to Columbia, Missouri. And Missouri is a three-point favorite at home. Total sits at 65. Josh Heifel and Eli Drinkwitz, you would expect a lot of points in a game like this. Totally makes sense. 2020, Jeremy Pruitt was still the coach of the Vols. Tennessee won this game 35-12. to 12. Just a, a beating, absolute beating. Tennessee has won and covered four of the last six against Missouri, including two straight. Uh, UT, however, two and five against the spread. Their last seven as a road dog. Missouri. One and five against the spread, their last six as a home favorite. So no real betting trend to go with on this one. Parker, let's go ahead and bring you back into the fold here. Uh, Give me your thoughts on the Vols and the Tigers. Missouri did not look great at at Boston College last week, but there were some things to be happy about, I guess, maybe. Yeah, the the issue with Missouri for me is that it is obvious and apparent that the loss of Ryan Walters as, as defensive coordinator is um, really hard to overcome. And and, uh, and so that definitely has them them struggling at defense. I have them at 109th in EPA per play on defense. Um, and, and, and really, I think that I like their offense, and that's really what gets me kind of um, excited about them, plus three here. So the stat that I have is Connor, uh, Connor Bazelak is completing uh, 77% of his passes on a uh, an ADOT, an average depth of target of about 7.7. So very short. But the Tigers are really racking up the yards after catch. So 62% of their total receiving yards have come after the catch. And Tennessee's defense, here are the two stats that stand out for me. 52% of their total yards allowed after the catch. And they have 55 missed tackles in four games. Um, And so I think that there's a lot of inconsistency on Tennessee's defense. I think that Missouri has players who can create create space, excuse me, and, and, and get chunk plays after the catch. And I think that Tennessee uh, kind of gave everything they had in the first half against Florida last week. And I think there's some emotional letdown as well. And so I, I expect Missouri to to look a little better this week against Tennessee and Tennessee maybe not being as up um, as possible. It's interesting because you, you look at Tennessee's schedule and you see that Pitt uh, close game and think, man, they scored 34 points on Pitt. 
you go and look and Western Michigan scored 40, uh, 44 on them. And so that kind of downgrades any anything you might give them there. So inconsistency on Tennessee's defense, Connor Basilak, um, really efficient uh, with these kind of short passes and a lot of, of yards after catchability on Missouri's receiving core. So I'm going to go with Missouri in the points here. That that does definitely make sense. And don't forget, of course, Hendon Hooker got hurt towards the end of that Florida game. Uh, that was worth, you know, at least a couple of points to me. I actually had this line as Missouri minus six. Now, I didn't feel great about it because I don't know that Missouri can stop a cold. But either way, uh, Kyle, let's go on and back over to you. I know that you have a feeling on Missouri as well in this one. Yeah, let's start with the negative and end with the positive. I always like to do that finish on the positive. I'll say, first of all, Missouri's uh, here. I go back to Minnesota. I'm so thinking about Minnesota (laughs) and the under so much. Um, Missouri's run defense concerns me quite a bit. You know, their run defense has just been atrocious, like six yards per carry allowed. I do expect Tennessee to score points in this game, and I would think this would be a high scoring game. The negative here as well. Uh, 40% chance of rain. If rain becomes an issue in this game, I think that probably hurts Missouri because they're more dependent on the pass. Uh, Tennessee would be running the football more often. So we'll see what happens there. I do think there's a chance we get a two and a half here. So if you're watching this show and you do like Missouri, I think Missouri minus two and a half is likely to show up here throughout the course of the week. So, um, you know, on the other side, how much do I really trust Josh Heupel? I, I don't trust him. I don't think he's a very good coach. Look, he walked into a great situation where he's been in the past. You know, UCF, uh, he walked into just an amazing situation. I don't think he did that great of a job there. Um, You know, to me, Missouri's offense with Basilak should be able to move the ball in this game. With the caveat, if it's a really bad weather game, I would be concerned a bit. But uh, like Parker said, very concerned about Tennessee's tackling issues. 102nd in tackling grade on PFF. I think Missouri is the type of team that can make them pay for something like that. Uh, Basilak and his wide receivers, very good. The other thing here is uh, Missouri's offensive line has been really good this year. Three sacks allowed all season. Uh, They look like a top 15 offensive line in the country. So to me, uh, I think most people are going to want to take Tennessee in this because they did look pretty good for a while uh, against Florida. But like uh, Parker said there, you know, I think this is a spot where it's not a great spot for Tennessee. They put a lot into that game, and now they go play at Missouri. Missouri is 0-4 against the spread so far this year, so a lot of people don't really want to bet on Missouri. A lot of those have been very close losses against the spread. I think this is a good buy-low spot for them. That totally makes Kyle, sense. Kyle, can, totally, I, ask, totally makes can sense. I ask you about Tennessee's run game, Kyle? That, that's one thing that I, I didn't have a strong opinion on, and I'm curious to what you think about because I have Tennessee at 34th, 0.11 EPA per rush, and I have Missouri at 129th, 0.376 EPA allowed on rushing. Do you think, especially with the weather, Tennessee run game might have a chance to get going, and would that affect how you look at like a total or, or the line? Yeah, I do like the over here. Uh, 65 is a lot of points. You know, uh, I don't know, is is Hooker, I know Hooker got hurt late in that game, so are we assuming Hooker's playing or not playing There's, here? Because the, the line movement, I believe, comes or is is going that direction because everybody assumes that he is going to play. I think that he's that's, actually been out throwing the ball a little bit. So that's yeah. that was the assumption I was under as well, because with Hooker in there, I would assume that Tennessee will be able to run the football here. Uh, he's very mobile as well, obviously. So I'm I'm very concerned about Missouri's rush defense. I, I just think that Tennessee is going to allow a lot of big plays here as well. You get home field advantage for Missouri. You walk into a bad situation with Tennessee having a really big game last week. I think Missouri 
coming off that overtime loss, this is probably a good spot for them. You know, people would say, well, they played a little bit of extra time. It wasn't that much uh, different. And, you know, these are college guys. It's early in the season. I think they have plenty of energy. So, yeah, Parker, I am concerned about the Missouri rush defense. I think they'll give up quite a bit here. At the same time, you know, you could argue if it's rainy, it makes Tennessee totally one-dimensional. And and then maybe Missouri's defense has a chance, right? Because if you know the run's coming every single time, it's a lot easier to stop it. So, yes, I am concerned about Missouri's run defense, but I think Missouri's going to get a lot of big plays on offense. I was curious. I'm actually looking up right now. Uh, I thought possibly that it was just skewed, the, the Missouri run defense, by just one game or, or whatever. But, uh, no, they gave up. Uh, 341 yards to Kentucky. They gave up 275 yards rushing to Boston College. Southeast Missouri State ran for 294 yards on them, averaged 8.17 a clip. So, uh, yeah, this is that's troubling. That is definitely troubling. Although I don't know how much of a running game that Tennessee has. So let's uh, let's go ahead and move to the official plays on this one, and we've got two of them. Parker and Kyle both like Missouri minus three in this spot. And I can understand it from both of them. I'm going to pass because I just want to see what happens. This looks like it could be a train wreck, and I will be here to witness. So, uh, with that said, <laughs> with that said, we will move into another game, and I am ready for this one. I bet on them last week. I'm going to do it again. Eastern Michigan plus two and a half at Northern Illinois. The total sits at 60. Now, I I have talked openly on this show. And anybody that knows me has heard me disparage Thomas Hammock, who is the head coach at uh, Northern Illinois. I do not believe that he is a great college head coach. On the other side of this sideline, we've got Chris Creighton, who I believe is a fantastic head coach. And now I've got the fantastic head coach on the road catching points. And I believe that he has a much better football team. When I set this line, I had it at Eastern Michigan minus seven. I the, last year Eastern Michigan won this game 41 to 33. Uh, it's it's a complete coaching mismatch. Kyle, I I believe that you had some thoughts on this. Let me get you in here before I go on a little bit of a diatribe. Yeah, I, I have some thoughts on this game. I think Creighton's a really good coach. I agree with you on that. And I thought it was pretty cool that somebody in the chat asked about the Eastern Michigan game. And then here we come with Eastern Michigan. Uh, you know, most shows you wouldn't expect Eastern Michigan and Northern Illinois to be coming up. But that's that's why you, you tune in for some of those value plays. And I saw when Gary put it on the spreadsheet here to talk about Eastern Michigan again. I'm like, yeah, here goes Gary riding with Eastern Michigan again. I like it. Um, I like Eastern Michigan here a good amount. I'm waiting for a three here. I think we might get a three here on Eastern Michigan. The market in general likes Northern Illinois at this point. Northern Illinois has been better than what I expected, but I still don't trust them. You know, I don't think they're very trustworthy at this point. The other thing is Northern Illinois, 13 for 13, scoring in the red zone. Ten of those have been touchdowns. This offense isn't good enough to keep that up. This is not a really efficient offense that, that should be able to keep that up. Uh, I do think there'll be quite a few points in this game. These two teams rank 129th and 126th in success rate for the opposition. Uh, so these are weak defenses, a high total for a slow-paced team, but it, it makes sense here because I think there's going to be big plays. Um, to your point, Gary, about Creighton's teams being good to back, 34-23 and 23 against the spread in his last 57 games, 22-10 and 10 ATS as an underdog. So here we're getting them as an underdog. I like Eastern Michigan in this one. I think I'll have some money on Eastern Michigan here by the end of the week, likely on the money line as well, because 
I want to, uh, you know, this is one of those where I'll pay to see Northern Illinois do it. You brought up those stats. Uh, they are 22-7-1 against the spread in their last 30 as a road underdog. Like, that's even even more impressive to me. Uh, so you talked about how terrible the defenses are. Yes, both of them are bad. However, give me Ben Bryant over Rocky Lombardi all day, every day. I think Eastern Michigan wins this game outright going away. I expect them to win this game by possibly double digits. I think they are that much better than Northern Illinois. What we have seen from the Huskies early uh, is not what this team is. That win against Georgia Tech in the first week of the season, that's not who this team is. They were they were not close to Wyoming, even though the, the final score was actually 50 to 43, but they gave up 50 points to Wyoming. UConn only gave up 24 to that team. Like, it, <laughs> what, what are we talking about? Uh, I, I think that this is just a complete wrong team favorite here. I'm going to ride with uh, Eastern Michigan. So let's let's make it an official play. We'll bring up the graphic. We'll do the official play. I am the one that's going to ride with it, and I don't need it to get to three. I don't care what the number is. Give me Eastern Michigan. I think they win the game outright. So Eastern Michigan plus two and a half for me. I am siding with it. Now, this chat is is rocking and rolling. You guys, we want to tell you we appreciate you, by the way. Scott, James, Trey, uh, Jason, I mean, all, all of you guys, y'all are absolutely lighting it up. We appreciate that. Jump in there. Tell us what your thoughts on each pick is on the different videos, et cetera. Uh, we, uh, we would love to hear from you. We have got three more games that we're going to discuss before we jump into the Q&A, and this next one is a monster. Next game on the board, 2.30 p.m. Eastern time, Cincinnati at Notre Dame. The Irish, a two-point underdog at home. The total sits at 50 and a half. Notre Dame was an underdog one time at home last year, and they won outright against number one Clemson. So, uh, if if you want to go through some of the these uh, stats, the trends, whatever, Cincinnati four and three against the spread, their last seven as a road favorite, uh, they are three and two straight up and against the spread, their last fifty uh, against the Power Five. This team, if my numbers are correct, they have won thirty straight as a favorite. Uh, I had to go back and double check that, but 30 straight as a favorite is is insane. Now, they have not been favored on the road a ton, uh, and that goes back quite a ways. But uh, Notre Dame, 4-2 and two against the spread as an underdog in their last six, 2-0 and oh against the spread, and straight up their last two as a home dog. Um, and they have won 25 straight at home. Like, this is there's a lot of stuff going on here. And, of course, we have the Marcus Freeman storyline. The new defensive coordinator at Notre Dame came over from Cincinnati some of the quotes that have come out make it seem like that was not exactly uh, the picture-perfect farewell. There may have been some issues going on uh, with the way that he left Cincinnati. I, I don't know, but it doesn't seem like it's all clean and friendly there. Uh, Parker, let me get you started here. Uh, tell me about the Irish and the Bearcats and, and what to look for because, I mean, statistically, this looks like it should be an easy pick. The issue that stands out with me for Notre Dame is that their rushing attack is non-existent. And if you asked uh, Brian Kelly what he wants to do, he wants to run the ball. Last week against Wisconsin, uh, Kyron Williams averaged 1.8 yards per carry. Currently, Notre Dame's rushing offense is 122nd in the nation, negative 0.238 EPA per rush. Cincinnati's defense... Uh, fifth in the nation, allowing negative 0.265. So clear mismatch of, uh, of style of so far 
what Notre Dame has wanted to do versus what they've been able to do. Obviously, Williams is talented. We know that. And so I, I do think that 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 gap is is uh, artificially large. But Cincinnati has been defending really, really well. The, the stat that really stands out to me here is that uh, if we start to look at these possession-based metrics uh, and talk about quality possession rate, Cincinnati's offense is 24th at quality possession rate. Um, Notre Dame's defense is 25th. In terms of finishing points per quality possession, Cincinnati is fifth, Notre Dame is 17th. If we flip that to the other side of the ball, Cincinnati's defense is allowing people to get quality possessions at a high rate, 50%. That's 52nd in the nation, but they are absolutely locking things down kind of in the red zone and and backed up seventh in points per quality possession. Notre Dame's offense, 100 in the nation um, uh, overall, really, really struggling. They are averaging 3.86 points per quality possession. So once they cross the 40, they're, they're, they're doing a little bit better than kicking a field goal. They played really, really poorly last week. I, I can't emphasize that enough. They, they kept Wisconsin to a very poor game, but Notre Dame played a very poor game. Cincinnati has a bye, which again is the story of Notre Dame's season here. And I think that the familiarity with Freeman actually leans towards Desmond Ritter and Cincinnati's offense, which is currently 13th in the nation. They've just been beating the ever-loving heck out of some bad teams. And <laughs> and so I, I, I am leaning towards Cincinnati here. Picking against Notre Dame in South Bend, knowing that the rushing attack has been stalled and knowing that it's much better, and we're talking about Power 5 linemen versus G5 linemen, I, I don't have an official play, but I'm leaning here towards Cincinnati. The one thing that does give Notre Dame a little bit of hope is Marcus Freeman has not just set a base defense. If you go back and watch the games that they have played, he has done something different in every game. It just depends on who he's lined up against. And that is definitely a good thing. Wisconsin never ran into a box that had less than six guys in it. And and he found ways to uh, hide the scheme and, and confuse Graham Mertz. Now, can he do that against Desmond Ritter? Who knows? But uh, there is some hope for Notre Dame, even with as bad as the numbers look right now. Uh, Kyle, give me your thoughts on, uh, on the Irish and the Bearcats. Yeah, I'm, I'm fascinated by this game as well. I feel like there's just tons of games that I'm really interested to watch this weekend. You know, I can't bet this game, but I lean Cincinnati in a game like this. If they win this game, they have a real shot at the playoffs. And if you look at their schedule the rest of the way, uh, they could definitely do this. You know, this is a huge game for Cincinnati. And to be honest with you, I don't think Cincinnati played very well against Indiana. Um, You know, Parker and I both had Cincinnati in that game. Uh, Cincinnati was slightly fortunate to win that game. You know, they come back from the deficit early. I think they play better in a game like this. Uh, they had a bye week to get ready for this game. Uh, Fickle, a very good co- head coach. I definitely trust him to have the team ready. I think Notre Dame, too, was fortunate to beat Toledo at home and then held on to beat Florida State, obviously, in the first game. They weren't very impressive against Purdue. And their 31-point outburst in the fourth quarter last week is is certainly very misleading. Um, I think it looks like Jack Cohn will be back here. Um, you know, heads up for him, 20 sacks allowed by Notre Dame so far this year. I do have a couple quick questions here for Parker. I'll put you on the spot. You know, what's going on with Cincinnati's defense with four sacks so far this year? It really surprises me that they would only have four sacks so far this year. And then my second question, uh, long range forecast, 60% chance of rain here, winds of up to 15 miles per hour. Who do you think that helps in a game like this? Well, when we're talking about uh, an upset, which I guess, according to the line, this wouldn't be an upset if Cincinnati won. But if we're talking about a G5 team beating a P5 team, uh, variance matters, right? And so you you, you kind of think that the chaos always, always 
um, helps the underdog, right? The, the crazier things get, the better it does. Um, Notre Dame's rushing defense or rushing offense has been so bad, though. I mean, it's not like the Tennessee situation where we're saying, oh, if we can, you know, shut down Desmond Ritter and and then we'll run and we'll be able to outrun Cincinnati, that'll be great. I think that actually um, the, the rain only hurts Notre Dame just because their offense has been so bad. They don't do anything well that that will just create a layer of chaos to that overall. Cincinnati, in terms of pressure, I'm not... Um, in terms of sacks, I'm not as worried about. Uh, you look at pressure, and you you think about the difference between you know pressure and sacks. Sacks are more uh, dependent on what a quarterback can do. Can he throw it away? Can he get out um, at the margin? Of course, you know if an offensive line's terrible, quarterback can't do anything. But Cincinnati was night and day against Indiana when they got pressure. Again, I. I'm going to go blue in the face saying that Michael Penix Jr. is terrible under pressure. And and Cincinnati kind of figured that out. But what Cincinnati was trying to do is ride the line of, can I bring four and get pressure and disrupt Penix, but still stay back enough to maybe capitalize on a turnover or make sure that um, Ty Froefogel doesn't get over the top. So Notre Dame, looking at this, it'll be interesting to see what Cincinnati does in terms of fronts and pressures with a whole two weeks to look at how Wisconsin disrupted the um, Notre Dame offense. I imagine that that is something that the coaches uh, in Cincinnati have been talking about. And I imagine we'll see a little bit more diversity on the Cincinnati uh, fronts, uh, defensive front to try and make sure that they just rattle Jack Cohn as much as they can. Fair. Yeah. I think, I think this is a, uh, Cincinnati defense that has been so good in past years. It just surprised me to see only four sacks, but you're right. Uh, sacks isn't the only thing that's important here. So the pressure if you matters. look at pressure, if you look at pressure for them total, I mean, they're, 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 they're four front guys all have, you know, 10 to 10 to 13 pressures, 79 pressures overall on, uh, almost a hundred pass attempts that they face. So, I mean, they're getting, they're getting, they're getting to the quarterback and being disruptive, but you're right. Maybe there is something to watch. Are they, are they going to be able to close? Um, because it's going to be harder to get pressure against a, a better Notre Dame offensive line. We, we do have quite a few guys jumping in the chat, talking about this. Uh, it, Scott brings up special teams on this. Um, I don't know who that would actually favor in this position. Of course, Notre Dame had a, a big punt return touchdown last week. Uh, it, Parker, give, give me your thoughts on on Notre Dame and Cincinnati special teams before we before we switch over to another game. Special teams are largely random, um, and so I don't include them in my numbers because they don't help me. But I will say that special teams in a matchup between a G five and a P five team are going to favor the G or the P five team just because depth. Here is where you get Cincinnati. They're two stars. They're they're walk ons. They they don't have these four, three, four, five star guys mostly three and four star guys who are underclassmen who are looking to prove themselves and then take over a starting job. They don't have that depth. Everyone who is their high talent guy is starting. And so special teams can magnify some of this talent asymmetry just because Notre Dame's roster top to bottom is so much better than Cincinnati's top to bottom. And we start to get in the tail here with special teams. So you you say, hey, more talented, uh, Notre Dame's shown an ability to pop off a big special teams play and you throw in a little bit of weather, special teams could could end up being what saves Notre Dame's because they can't move the ball offensively. Cincinnati, 105th in field position allowed. They, they're allowing people to start drives at the 31.8. And so I think that all those factors together, that's a great point. And, and that uh, special teams will be something that, that, that I have circled kind of going into this game. I like it. Uh, we did have a question whether or not Jack Cohn is starting. Um, he exited the last contest. Looks like he will be playing on on Saturday. He is expected to be active. It doesn't matter. It, yeah, I don't think it matters. I don't think it matters. So let's go into the official plays on this one. 
and we do not have one. Uh, we don't feel strong enough about either side, although I, I personally would lean Cincinnati here, but it does terrify me knowing the uh, the talent difference and everything else that could go into a home game at Notre Dame with the rain and whatever. I, expect a lot of variance. I will say that. Let's move on to the next game, and this will be a quick one. I'm not going to make you guys uh, listen to this for too long, but Central Michigan is a one-point underdog at Miami of Ohio. The total sits at 56, and Central Michigan announced that their freshman quarterback, uh, Daniel Richardson, is going to start. He has six touchdowns, zero interceptions on the year. He would actually be rated, I believe, number 11 in the country in QBR if he had enough uh, attempted passes, but he is still relatively new on the scene. This offense looks fantastic with him behind it. I feel really good about it. Central Michigan, 7-2-1 and one against the spread on the road in their last 10. Miami, 4-3 and three against the spread their last seven at home. They are 4-6 and six against the spread of their last 10 overall. Neither defense is good. Uh, and when you get into a situation like this, you're trying to figure out which offense you trust to be able to actually have explosive plays, who can actually score the football. I trust Central Michigan in this spot. They are built uh, to be able to score. They've had 77 plays of 10-plus yards. They've had 24 of 20-plus yards. Uh, on the other side, Miami, only 54 10-plus yard plays and only 14 20-plus yard plays. Uh, Miami, they are bottom 30 in all uh, offensive metrics, all of the important offensive metrics. That is not good. I don't think they will be able to score as easily as Central Michigan. I, I think the wrong team is favored. My line was actually Central Michigan minus seven, and instead I come out with Miami minus one. I, I will take Central Michigan to win this game, even though I do understand Miami has has won and covered I believe four straight against Central Michigan, if uh, if my numbers are right. Uh, but this is the first time that they've met since the 2019 MAC title game that Miami won. So I will move on to the official picks on this one. Not going to have anybody else talk about it because it almost have to talk me off the ledge here. Uh, I am going to take Central Michigan as the road dog. I think they're going to win this game outright. So give me CMU and Jim McElwain with the new freshman quarterback plus one on the road to get it done. That moves us into the last game of today. And we are going to talk about a Big 12 tilt with a backup quarterback. Uh, Texas Tech heads to West Virginia. West Virginia is a seven-point favorite, juiced at minus 120 here. The total sits at 55 and a half. And last year, Texas Tech actually won this game 34 to 27. They have won and covered the last two seasons against the Mountaineers. Uh, Neil Brown not having a ton of success against Matt Wells thus far. And Texas Tech six and three against the spread against West Virginia all time. West Virginia, however, as a home favorite, their last nine, they are 7-1-1 one, and one against the number. Uh, that's not too shabby. Texas Tech, 2-7 and seven against the spread in their last nine as a road dog. Uh, they are 0-9 straight up in that situation. And Henry Columbia is going to be the new starting quarterback because Tyler Shuck is out for the foreseeable future uh, with an injury. So uh, what I'm curious about is whether or not West Virginia can do some of the things that Texas was able to do to Texas Tech last week because, goodness, that was a shellacking. Uh, Kyle, let me get you in here to give your thoughts on uh, on the Red Raiders. Yeah, I remember last week we talked about Texas Tech. They were ninth in yards per play allowed coming into last week. Well, that changed really fast, right? Yes, so the question was, uh, does, is Texas Tech still uh, bad defensively? The, the answer was yes. So, um, 
8.5 yards per play allowed last week. I know Texas is good offensively, but that was a really bad look for them. Uh, Texas Tech is fifth in the nation in yards per play on offense. I do think they can move the ball here. Um, Shook is is better than Columbia, so I think this is a clear downgrade. I still think they'll move the ball fairly well. You know, I have to say it again, and I know I said it last week, but West Virginia's defense has allowed opponents 15 trips into the red zone. Opponents have scored on eight of those 15 trips into the red zone, any points, and they've scored three touchdowns out of 15 trips into the red zone. Just screaming regression here. Uh, if you're ever going to find a regression stat, this is it. And uh, Jarrett Dagey, you know, 159th in PFF quarterback player grade so far this year. If you do the math, there's 130 teams in the country. So PFF doesn't like Jared Dickey very much, obviously. Um, and, and I don't think any of us really like him that much either. I don't think that's why Parker uh, likes West Virginia in this game. But I will say, you know, I lean to the over in this game, thinking there could be some points here. West Virginia's offense has played some pretty good defenses so far this year. Uh, Dickey is not very good. He's probably a little bit better than the, than his stats would suggest so far this year. Uh, both ca- Both teams capable, to me, of getting big plays. Uh, pick sixes are possible with these two quarterbacks as well. So we we have point potentials on each side. You know, I, I'm just worried about laying points with West Virginia, uh, with Diggy making so many bad decisions. But that that would be my lean as leaning West Virginia. I could I could understand that, Parker. Uh, we watched West Virginia take Oklahoma to the wire last week, and and then we just saw Texas Tech get absolutely obliterated, just splattered all over the field in Austin. It, it's tough to go any other way besides West Virginia, even if you have concerns about the quarterback play, right? Right. And I, I have a couple of key stats here that are that are pretty straightforward for me. Last week against Oklahoma, West Virginia held Oklahoma to negative 0.339 EPA per rush. They allowed Oklahoma an explosive play on only 3.2% of plays. That's absurd against the Lincoln Riley offense. I think this defense is, is a little bit better than uh, kind of initially we, we would think. I think as Maryland looks looks better on defense or on offense rather, we'll, we'll come to respect this West Virginia defense a little bit more. Um, I think that Texas Tech is going to want to run the ball here. Um, they have a stable of three running backs of Brooks, White, and Thompson who are all very good. Their offensive line is experienced. And last year with Columbia, uh, they did a lot of this kind of screen and inside zone game. The problem is that the rushing game this year has been very bad, negative 0.032. They haven't been able to get it started. West Virginia is 29th in EPA per rush. Um, the last thing is I, I, I will not tolerate any Jarrett Dagey slander on this show because, again, <laughs> if he has time, if he doesn't get pressured uh, every down, if he can stay on his feet, he's, he's pretty good. And if you look last week uh, against Texas, Casey Thompson threw 25 passes had 25 dropbacks. Three of them were pressured. That was it. Absolutely no pressure from this Texas Tech defensive front. They're very weak. Letty Brown is a better rusher than um, than than I think his stats have looked at so far. West Virginia is ascending. And so I think what's going to happen is Texas Tech is going to have to pick their poison about stopping Brown or getting pressure. And either way, I think that West Virginia is going to be able to make them pay. I think they're a solid, consistent team. I think that uh, Texas Tech is the antithesis of that. They are they are high variance and um, maybe a little bit sloppier on defense. So I like I like West Virginia and Morgantown. I like West Virginia to build off of their big game at Oklahoma instead of have a letdown effect. So I'm taking West Virginia and and some points. I can get down with that. Let's go ahead and make it an official play. Parker is going to be the one to side with West Virginia minus the seven, and I like it. 
I like it. Why not? Like, I, I don't think Texas Tech is very good. Matt Wells hanging on by the seat of his pants, uh, just trying to hang on to that job in Lubbock. I don't know if he's going to be able to do it. We shall see, especially with Tyler Shuckout. That, that is not a good thing. Let's go ahead and dive into the Q&A. Uh, before we jump to some of these other ones, we did have Big Trouble Jack just ask about BYU and Utah State. That is another Friday night game, so I want to hit it first. Uh, I, I will say that I've, I felt really good early in the week about Utah State in this spot because if you look at the postgame win expectancy for Utah State in their blowout loss at home to Boise, it was actually like 54% where they would have been expected. They they absolutely uh, just the, – the clutch gene was not there for them. I, I will say that. That's the easiest way for me to put it because they turned the football over. Special teams were an issue. It, it was just a, a – just a mess of errors across the field. They only scored three points. They had multiple scoring opportunities inside the 40. They were able to put up yards, just couldn't get the ball into the end zone. BYU does scare me because I feel like they are built similarly, if not better than Boise. But this is another Friday night home underdog, so if I was going to choose a side, I would probably roll with Utah State plus the 8.5 right now. Uh, Do either of you feel strongly about it? I know, Kyle, you are big on Utah State with me. Uh, Is that the way you would lean? Yeah, that, let me just say that, you know, Utah State last week, that's a very, you know, that that final score doesn't indicate what that game was at all. Um, and I, I think Gary was putting it pretty nicely when he said how Utah State looked like once they got in the red zone. You know, we could say we could say a lot more harsh things about how they played in the red zone there. But, you know, the thing that concerns me a bit about this game is last week we had Utah State plus nine and a half against uh, Boise. I think BYU is better than Boise here. So, you know, you're getting less points, so it seems like the market kind of understands that Utah State played better last week than the final score. Um, I lean to the over in that game. I think both teams can score points. Certainly a bit scary to lean to the over after Utah State just scored three points, but I think they will score a lot of points this year in general. Parker, you got a thought on it? Uh, I think that we're underrating BYU in this spot because they didn't play Jaron Hall last week against a really bad USF team, and that was a one-score game. Um I think that, again, Utah State is fun, and I uh, love Blake Anderson, and I want them to do well. I do think that BYU's offense is going to be a much, much tougher task for Utah State, and uh, I do not think they can score enough uh, to to keep up here. That does make sense. Uh, Another question in the Q&A or in the chat, Louisville and Wake Forest. Uh, Wake Forest, I believe, last I looked, was a seven-point favorite here, and this is – this is always a tricky one for me. I, Wake has played outstanding football this year. Dave Clawson is just a master. Like, everything that he's done, I, I think that he's going to get a shot at a bigger job uh, very soon. Like I'm surprised he hasn't already, but this season is certainly shaping up to be a big one with quarterback Sam Hartman and that bunch. But seven-point favorite. Louisville has looked a lot better since that first game where they got shellacked by Ole Miss, but the competition has not exactly been – Great, right? And, and UCF kind of gave them the game at home. I My thought on this is Dave Clawson loves beating Louisville. Loves beating Louisville. Even though Petrino and that bunch is gone, all the wakey leak stuff that came out where they were stealing game plans and whatever, um, I, I know that Wake still views this uh, as a personal game. So if I were going to side on either one of these, this was a, originally a play for me, and I did make a small wager on it on Sunday when the line came out. Uh, I, I would roll Wake Forest minus the seven, but I didn't feel strongly enough to make it an official play on the show. Uh, either one of you have a, a thought on this one? 
Yeah, I, I'm. I lean... look at. Oh, go ahead, Kyle. Sorry. Yeah, we we both look at each other. Um, the I'm going to lean Wake in this game as well. I, you know, Clawson's a guy I don't want to bet against. Uh, not that Satterfield's a bad coach, but you know, Wake has it going right now. Really good quarterback play from them so far this year. Um, like Gary, I think that's actually a good point that, you know, it's several years ago now, but I don't think Wake and Louisville like each other very much still. And, and if they have the chance to run up the score, I think they'd be happy to. Parker, you go ahead. Uh, I look at um, percent of first downs that come on first and second down, so third down avoidance, and this is just a terrible matchup on both sides. Uh, Louisville's offense is 93rd. Wake Forest's defense is 95th. Uh, Louisville's defense is 104th. Wake Forest's offense is 97th. So I think we're going to see a lot of third downs. And when you see a lot of third downs, you see a lot of variance and randomness because the um, sustainability of drives relies on being able to convert third downs. And uh, Wake Forest is a lot better on third downs uh, on offense than Louisville is. But Louisville's defense has been pretty good at stopping third downs. So um, this matchup is very weird to me. I think opponent adjustments make this a, a very tough one. And I always feel like a team like Wake Forest that has quietly looked pretty good is going to come back to mediocre at some point. They're going to make a mistake. And I think that Louisville could be that mistake. Then again, Louisville played a, a really bad FSU team pretty close last week. So I would lean towards Wake Forest. I think that the third down conversion rate for Wake Forest offense, whether they think it's sustained drives, will really be what kind of determines who wins here. That definitely makes sense. Uh, another Q&A. They want to know thoughts on Rhode Island, East Tennessee State, UC Davis, etc. Uh, we we do not study FCS. Uh, I did a little bit in the spring just so that I could actually have some football to watch. But right now we've got 130 FBS teams that we are going through in a short amount of time to do it. So it's not that we uh, it's not that we don't like FCS. It's that we just don't have nearly as much time as we would like. Uh, also, we have a question. I believe James Lill jumped in. Rice and Southern Miss. Uh, this uh, this will be the last one that we hit for today. Uh, Southern Miss, a two-and-a-half-point dog, I believe, at Rice. I believe that's what the number is. Um, I, I will say this. I typically stay away from betting on teams that just played Alabama. Uh, that, that has not worked out well for those teams in the past. Although, uh, you know, when you're playing against food, I believe that's Josh Pate's rule, right? Don't lose the food. That's definitely not good. Um, but it, Rice like has not been terrible. I don't know which way to go on that. I don't have a good feel on this. Do uh, do either of you, Parker, Kyle? Follow your heart. Uh, I'm gonna, <laughs> this is 124 and 129 in my power rankings. Yeah. I don't know, man. You pick. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm you know you. what? What surprises me in this game is I thought Rice's defense was going to be good, and they're 124th, giving up almost seven yards per play. Their games are going way over the total. So this is a really low total. Um, I guess I'd have to lean over, but I agree with what Gary said. I don't like making a habit of betting on teams that just played against Alabama. That hasn't been a good way to go in the past. Alabama, Clemson, teams like that. So um, nothing for me in this game, but I couldn't bet Southern Miss. I like it. All right, let's jump into the picks recap. We're going to let you know exactly what we took on the day. And we will start off with Parker, and he has got – Four picks on the day. Maryland plus three and a half at home against Iowa. Michigan plus two on the road against Wisconsin. Missouri minus three at home against Tennessee. And he's taking West Virginia minus seven at home against Texas Tech. My picks for today's show, I am also riding with Maryland plus three and a half. I'm going to take Eastern Michigan plus two and a half 
on the road, and I'm going to take Central Michigan plus one on the road. Uh, I, I like the two road dogs on Saturday. I like the the road uh, or sorry the home dog on Friday night. And Kyle has got us a total. He's going under 47 and a half in Minnesota and Purdue, and he also is going to side with Parker. He's taking Missouri minus three at home against Tennessee. Go ahead and remind all of you to make sure and subscribe to the channel. Make sure you hit the notification bell and make sure and comment in with all of your picks, et cetera. We want to know your thoughts on the games. We appreciate everybody that jumped into the chat today. The chat was absolutely on fire. Uh, you guys are outstanding. It's growing bigger and bigger every week. We uh, The BetUS official channel is almost to 10,000, so we want to make sure and get that one up there. And we hit a milestone last week. We hit our first 1,000 subscribers. So we certainly appreciate you guys for doing that. Make sure if you are not subscribed that you go ahead and do that. We are hitting record numbers every week, and we want to continue building this thing. Uh, it's a lot of fun. It's an absolute lot of fun, and we appreciate you guys for allowing us to do it and being interested in what we're talking about because we're just a bunch of guys that like college football. That's the way it goes. So hit the notification bell. Make sure and comment with your picks and share the show out. Tell your friends about it. And also, make sure and sign up at BetUS, where the game begins. There is a link in the description. You can sign up using the promo code NCAAF2021. It'll get you 125% deposit sign-up bonus. Very easy to do, and, and it's up to $2,500 exclusive for sports betting. I'm telling you, go ahead and knock that thing out. Gentlemen, uh, we'd like to jump into the comments afterwards, of course. So if you would like to dive in there and continue the conversation, leave more comments below your thoughts on these games. We want to know what you think. We do have a Thursday show tomorrow, the late slate. We will get to a lot more games tomorrow. There's even more on the slate for tomorrow than there were today. So make sure that you hit the notification bell so that you can know when we go live. It will be at 12 p.m. Eastern time. You can also hit us up on Twitter. You can find those down in the description as well. Gentlemen, we are going to close this thing out. It's been a long one, but it's been a good one because it is going to be a fantastic week. With that said, for BetUS, we will see you all again tomorrow.